just a heads up, everyone, these are adults having adult conversations, so there is the possibility of adult language. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Magic Lessons, a podcast produced by MaximumFun.org and Riverhead Books. I'm Elizabeth Gilbert, and I just wrote this book called Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. But even when I was finished with the book, I didn't feel like I was really finished with the subject. So I wanted to make this podcast where I could take the subject of creativity out into the world and have real conversations with real people about it. And that's where magic lessons come from. And what are magic lessons? Roadmaps for the path to creativity, the extra nudge we need when we're feeling stuck in our creative lives. Hey everyone, welcome to Magic Lessons. I'm Liz Gilbert. And if this is the first time you're hearing the podcast, I don't want to spoil anything for you, so definitely do go back and before you listen to this, check out the 10 previous episodes. They're full of great stories and advice, and they set the stage for what's going to happen here today. So I'm super excited about today's episode because I'm checking in with all five of my wonderful Magic Lessons students. Each one of these five women, Erin, Missy, Melissa, Betsy, and Casey, had been running into obstacles recently in their own creative journeys. They had lost their joy or their courage, or they just weren't really sure what to make next. Over the course of this series, I've been giving them each a little toolbox, a combination of coaching and a few assignments in order to set them in the right direction. I've also been asking some brilliant friends of mine to weigh in on this podcast in each case. So thank you again to Cheryl Strayed, the pastor Rob Bell, Ann Patchett, Rhea Elias, and John Hodgman for helping me to help these students. And I'm hoping that my assignments have guided them toward achieving their creative goals with a little less anxiety and a lot more joy. So let's find out what's been going on. Back in episode one, we met Erin Rollins. She's a busy mom and a blogger who was ready to focus on the more serious and more difficult work of writing a book a memoir that might be addressing some pretty sensitive family topics. And the cool thing is, Erin is actually here with me in the studio today. Can you believe it? Can you believe it, Erin? I I can't can't believe it. (laughs) Never in my wildest dreams did I think that this would be one of the possibilities. Um, I just thought it would be cool to put a face on on one of the students who I've been coaching in the podcast. So all the way from Michigan to right here (laughs) in New York City, Welcome back to Magic Lessons, Erin. Thank you. Um, so give me a report. We spoke two months ago, and I think that what I really pulled away from that conversation immediately in speaking to you was this idea that you were ready to go, that you had been on what I was calling the runway for a while in your creative life, kind of ramping up self-confidence and courage and momentum, and you were kind of ready to take off. And I'm wondering, did you... Did you take off that runway a little bit? or I did. You did. I was nervous at first when you're like, just, you need to get started. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's summertime. How am I going to do this with the kids are home? But I had already lined up a babysitter twice a week. Uh-huh. And I was going to use that time to like maybe blog, do some grocery shopping. But when you gave me that assignment, I locked in that and I went to the library, not even a coffee shop because I get distracted. And I sat there for the um, like three hours that I had a babysitter and just wrote. And wow. so- as of today, I have 10,000 words written. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, don't literally shut up. Keep <laughs> writing. Keep writing. Don't shut up. Unbelievable. That's incredible. Thank and you. And how does it feel? Well, I had a lot of feelings. First off, there's the my family life. Right. And the family life, you had told me to dial it back to like 80%. And I was nervous because I was like, I... I what do I? E- what can I even trim from that? Right. I don't even really do that much. But when I dialed back, I realized I really was doing a lot. Like right. I make, for instance, I make these muffins, right? Organic, whole wheat, blah blah blah. And I thought, you know what? This summer, I'm going to give myself a break. I'll buy the muffins, and that will be it. And I'm not going to, you know, put myself on the hook for that. Wait, Aaron. Yes. Um, Should we call social services to make sure your children are okay? Because I'm a little worried (laughs) that they're dying now of starvation from you not making homemade muffins for them every single day. Actually, they might be even happier because these are more sugar laden than the ones I make. So So they survived that. They survived. They did. Um, And then personally, 
you know, I meditate, I go to yoga. But there was all these threads of realization about who I was. But as I started writing this book, it was like I could weave this fabric of a true, clear picture of my authentic self. I feel like it kind of tied a lot of things together for me. So, wow, that's a lot. I, I mean, I always feel in my life that the only time in my life where I feel like I'm not a little bit full of shit is when I'm alone in a room writing. Even if the writing is going poorly, I feel like this is the most authentic version of myself. And every other version of myself is a little bit of a show, like a little bit of yes. a, um, a mod, like I'm either modulating myself or I'm trying to be something I'm not, or I'm trying to make other people happy. But when I'm in that place, even when it's not working, I'm still, I feel true. Yes. In those moments. I'm like, okay, this didn't work, but I still feel true right now. I yes. don't feel like I'm an act of some sort. Yes. Yes. How'd you like listening to Cheryl Strayed talking about your life? Wow. Well, first <laughs> off, uh, I that was amazing. How'd that go for that you? That went, it made so much sense. And then it all makes sense now, it's especially like, you know, I was afraid, like I am taking something away from my kids. And when she said, no, like showing, you know, pursuing my passion is like the best gift I can give my kids. And now realizing that like things feel a little bit lighter and I am, in, you know, I'm not distracted by, you know, pushing this other work away that I didn't want to, I was afraid to do. Um, I think that they might be even benefiting from that. I can guarantee that they are. <laughs> I can absolutely guarantee that they are. And I was really struck in her conversation when she said, nobody's family deserves 100% of their attention. Nobody's family should get 100% of attention. And I was, I've since taken that out in the world and spoken to a lot of other women about it who have, you know, some of the women who I really admire have said, it's a detriment to your children to give them 100% of your attention. It's suffocating. Um, they need those gaps in, in your attention so that they can then grow into who they need to be. I think if they see that you're okay, they'll be okay. I always feel like in my family, you know how when you're on a, on a bumpy plane ride and you get really nervous and you always look at the stewardess's face yeah. to see how yes. she's doing? And if she's cool, then you're sort of like, oh, I guess, it's, I guess we're not really about to crash because yes. if we were about to crash she probably wouldn't be sort of laughing with another passenger <laughs> and um you know so so I feel like kids look at their parents faces yes. um to see if the plane's going down mm -hmm. that's an excellent analogy. <laughs> you know which is a really good reason to try not to have the plane go down you know and the, and your creativity is one of the ways that you keep yourself I mean we're back on the runway in airplanes again but it's one yeah. of the ways that you keep yourself aloft yes. you know um and and they'll know that and and that'll I can't help but think that that will serve them. She painted a very clear picture of what that looked like. I feel right. like a lot of times people guard the trade-offs. She had said, you know, she had missed a play or she, you know, she went away for three weeks to right. finish her book. To me, that was a huge aha moment. Like, you're not doing this, like, with the baby in, you know, the bassinet. Like, you, there's real trade-offs. And I think that sometimes when I struggle with what it looks like from the outside. Oh, well, you know, these they write these books and like And they have these perfect families. Yes, and oh, it's just working. No, it's not it's not like that. And sometimes I feel like that can be a, a barrier because I must be doing it wrong because this is really hard. Because I <laughs> because I can't be everything to everyone and to myself <laughs> at the same time. I'm there must be something broken in me, you know? Right. No, I feel like that's why it's such a service to have these kinds of conversations mm -hmm. um to sort of um reveal that, you know? And and I had an amazing transition moment in my life once where a, a wise, older, creative woman who I really admired said to me, and it's a question that I bring up to myself all the time, what are you willing to give up in order to have what you really want? You know, if you want to travel and you don't have the money, are you willing to give up all the extra luxuries in your daily life for three years mm -hmm. and save all that money so you can go somewhere? What are you willing to give up to have what you really want? That's you know, um, what kind of time are you willing to give up sharing with other people in order to have that solid block of three hours at the library. Um, and are you allowed, you know, are you allowed to have that? What would happen? And it looks like you're allowed to, and it looks like what's happening is kind of great. Yes. I, um, in Big Magic, you personify inspiration. And when you make that, you talked about how you make that contract with inspiration. I almost feel like that has given me the permission to say, you know, 
no, I'm not going to take that phone call during this time. Or no, I can't go out to lunch with you today. And I think it, that was brilliant how to to personify that because that's, then it was a person I was making this promise to instead right. of, you know, just, you know, lofty idea of what I should be doing. Well, and it also takes you out of the sense of its self-indulgence, right? I'm co-collaborating in creation and I'm working with the mysteries of inspiration and mysteries of inspiration and I have a contract with each other and I have to honor that because I'm somebody who honors my contracts. Well, then now you're a person of honor. Um, you're not a thief, you know, right. and I feel like so many people feel that to honor their creativity is a kind of theft because they're stealing their time yeah. from the rest of the world. But it isn't that. What you're doing is you're giving of yourself to one of the greatest and most fascinating and strange mysteries of human existence. People have been making decorative, expressive things for absolutely no apparent, functional, pragmatic reason whatsoever, except that we are apparently called to do it. And by answering that call, you're participating in something ancient and wonderful and human that you have every entitlement to be part of. Wow. <laughs> and uh, that's the big magic. <laughs> that is big magic. That's the big magic right there. Um, I'm, I'm, I was going to say I'm proud of you, but that sounds patronizing. I'm happy for you, oh, thank that, you that you're allowing yourself to have this. And even though this is not the primary reason that you should be doing it, I'm happy for your family that they're getting a lighter Aaron and a more contented mother and a really good example of, as the great Cheryl Strayed told us, a, uh, a mother who pursues her passions like a motherfucker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, stay at it. I will. Promise? Oh, pr I promise. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Oh, it's pleasure. been fun to watch. <laughs> um, and will you share with me what you've written when it's done? <gasps> yes. Was that a yes? That was... Yes, I have goosebumps. That yes. was that was a gasp and then an ellipsis and then a hesitant <laughs> yes, but I'm going to take that as a yes. So oh. that, let that be either, I hope that's not intimidating, but have it be another incentive. <laughs> it will be an incentive. As you're sitting in there in the library, you don't just have a contract with inspiration, you have one with me. Um, so, Thank you. Oh you know, my gosh. Rock on with your bad self. Um, I love it. And it was really great to meet you face to face too. Thanks for coming in. It's great to meet you too. So back in episode three, we met Missy, who works at a call center, which she described as the most boring job in the world. And I got to say, she made a pretty strong case <laughs> for it being the most boring job in the world. But she was full of these vivid dreams um, that were giving her ideas for writing projects. I really loved talking to Missy. She was so passionate, so vivacious, and so ready to explode into a new way of being. So I just want to check up and see what she's been up to since we spoke. Hello? Missy? Hi. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Can it's... I just say that you never told me you were going to talk to Rob Bell about me? Oh, that was a little surprise I had. Do you? Are you a Rob Bell fan? I am a huge Rob Bell fan. So when I, I heard it, and I'm kind of like, I was just taking a moment. I was like, wait, what? Like, is this really happening right now? Is this, is this man that is amazing, is, has my name in his like vocabulary, what is going on? Uh, you know what's going on, Missy, is that you manifested that. <laughs> oh my God, that was so cool. You stood up and made yourself known and called yourself to my attention and then everything that happened was a result, you know? So that's how it works. So cool. That's how so it works. Cool. Um, and I just kept saying what over and over again and my husband's like, what is going on? And I'm like, I will tell you later, go away. <laughs> Well, let's start right there then. Let's just begin with what you've been doing since we spoke last. Okay, so I, I've been writing a lot. It feels like the floodgates have opened. I've been writing a lot, and I, I have to say that I, I initially had a goal for a short story because I was intimidated by the idea of writing a, a, a book, a full-blown book. Uh -huh. Like, I just didn't think I had it in me, but... The idea to write about my mom was so present in my in my mind and my thoughts and and every time I journaled the the, the topic of her came up, so I just decided to kind of fall down the rabbit hole and I'm writing a book about my mom. Oh <laughs> about, my god! <laughs> I'm writing a book about my mom. It's kind of like an homage, nonfiction, and it's painful but very cathartic, and something that 
I, I never pictured myself in, in a thousand years thinking, oh, well, I'll write about my mom. Like it just, but it just came to me and it was such a conscious like energy that I just decided to, to do it. And I, I just started and I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm, I'm going for it. Do you know what's so amazing about this? I was thinking about this today. This is what happens when you begin. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. um, and I and I love your your saying that you your initial intention was to write a tiny little short story because you were intimidated by the thought of anything bigger, but mm-hmm. just by even beginning there, all of a sudden you had permission to think on a larger scale. And I find this this is a weird analogy, but I find this if I can make myself go to the gym with the promise that I only have to stay for ten minutes, <laughs> then once I get there. I end up staying for an hour, you know, Um, but sometimes you have to trick yourself into it that way with creativity, with anything that you're, that you're having trouble finding the courage or the motivation to do. Just say like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, just a tiny, I'm just going to do a tiny little thing. And then you never know what that thing is going to explode into. That's amazing. Congratulations. Oh my God. All I was hoping for was to make sure that you were working on a short story and here you are writing a full on book. That's so cool. Yeah. And I do have, like I said, a floodgate of ideas. And I'm writing them all down. I started a wall in my office at home, and I have just post-its of quotes or, or ideas that are that are calling to me. And so now I have a wall of little post-its <laughs> of little snippets of things that I've been picking up along the way. Um, wow. And uh, Rob Bell's advice was amazing. I have the action is here in my office, in my car in my desk at work. Oh my God. And it's, I'm just surrounding myself with as much big magic as possible. I love you. It's great. And I also felt of, I felt a very big shift in energy uh-huh. uh, and, and my perspective on a lot. Like maybe I don't have the most boring job in the world now. Maybe I just, I just need to pay attention to the, the organism moving, you know? Oh my God. Missy, for the people <laughs> who might have missed um, our first conversation and might have missed Rob Bell's conversation about you. Can you, in your own words, explain how you interpret the phrase, the action is here? The action is here, to me, means that I'm part of the universe becoming. I'm part of, as as um, as big as that is, but I'm also part of the tiny little things as well. I'm I'm in motion, and I'm not stuck. Everything is moving, and I'm also responsible uh, and accountable for making sure that I'm I'm here right now. I I'm, I'm part of it. I'm part of all of it. And, and my favorite quote from my favorite movie, Almost Famous, that it's all happening. Yeah. That's kind of my vibe right now. It's all happening. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, it's all happening. It, it is. And and I what I took away from that conversation with Rob Bell was that idea that the universe is, is, is in motion, it's in creation, and it's looking for collaborators. And we can all be part of that every single day, not next year, not maybe someday, but now, here. Yeah. And can I ask you one last question, Missy? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm struck by your statement when you said you feel like the floodgates have opened. Um, For that to have happened, they must have been closed. And for a while, right? Um, That Mm -hmm. all of that was backed up in you somewhere because it was all behind a gate. And I'm wondering if now that you're on the other side of that, if you might be able to explain what you think that gate was, um, what you think that obstacle was that was holding back your flow of creativity so that other people who are in the situation that you've been in might be able to recognize it in themselves? So for me, uh, when I was a child, reading was a lifesaver. And it was always that constant in my life that brought me joy, that allowed me to, my imagination to run wild. And, I, and that inspired me also to write when I was younger. You know, in school, I was a decent student, but in, in writing, it was always, that was like my, my bliss. Yeah. And somewhere along the way in my 20s, I, I let go of that because I just thought, well, I don't have time or things are just too complicated. There's too much going on in my personal life and I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And I don't have time for this particular aspect of, of my life of reading and writing and, and all of that. And so I kind of pushed it aside due to my own struggles. And it really just complicated things more than it helped. Huh. And I got to myself to a point where I was, quite frankly, so miserable that I picked up a book 
And as the moment I opened the book and I dived in, I it was kind of like the world came back in color. Oh. And you know, I don't have control over over most things, but I can control what makes me blissfully happy. And if this is one thing that can lead me there, I think that I need to stick with it. And so in the past couple of years, just been a recommitment to my to my passion of books, of literature, of writing. And wow. it led me to so many amazing books, of course, yours. And, you know, I, I can't, I, I wouldn't be able to shut up if I named all the books that I've read. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it led me to so many things and it, and it led me to your, you know, to you. And it led me to your Facebook page and it led me to that moment when you reached out to us and it led me to, you know what I mean? Like it right. just, it kind of domino, the domino effect has just been beautiful to reflect on and it's brought color back into my life. And I don't ever want to live white and black or gray. I want to live in color. I want to live the shades of the rainbow. That's what I want for my life. Uh, congratulations, Missy. You made me cry again. <laughs> <laughs> you did it I'm the so first sorry. time and now you've done it again. No, I love it. It's, it's so beautiful. And I just want to remind you, 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 I was listening to kind of the grammatical choice you were making when you were talking about your passion and your creativity. And you kept saying, it led me here. It led me there. It led me to you. It led me to this place. And I just want to do a little pronoun shift and just remind you that you did that. You led yourself there. You did that. And you can keep doing it. And I have a very strong feeling that you will never stop now that you know it's you. I can't. I can't let it go. (laughs) Hey, Missy, I can't wait to read your book. I can't wait to see where this goes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Missy, listen, um, you have a whole tribe of people behind you cheering for you now. So um, stay with it, okay? I appreciate that. And thank you very much for everything you do for us. I dig it. Bless your heart, honey. Onward. You got this. Thank you. Have a great day. Back in episode five, we met Melissa, a gifted and sensitive singer-songwriter in California. Ever since her sister had passed away three years ago, Melissa had found that she was completely unable to write new songs. So in addition to grieving the loss of her sister, she was grieving the loss of her creativity, which was a really serious and sad condition in her life. We had a very long talk about it, and I also spoke with the novelist Ann Patchett about her. And now I want to check in and see what she's been up to since we spoke. Hi, Melissa. Welcome back to Magic Lessons. Hi. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing better. I'm doing a lot better. Oh, <laughs> that's wonderful news. <laughs> you know, I, I've been thinking about you so much because the episode that we did was really interesting and surprising to me because, as you know, I ended up calling in my friend Ann Patchett to talk about your case a bit with her. And it turned out, as you heard, that she and I had completely different advice to offer you. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's the only time that's happened on this this podcast so far. We were both coming at it from such different perspectives, which is in itself kind of an interesting um, commentary on the strange, peculiar workings of creativity, that there is not <laughs> one way. You know, there are many possible ways. Absolutely. Um, and, and so, you know, my thought was that you might be able to get past your writer's block by creating a song of joy, something light and simple to get you moving again toward Mm -hmm. creativity. And Anne thought that you should just go right into the depth of the pain and grief that you'd experienced in your life and go straight to it. Um, And I'm just curious what you ended up doing over the last few weeks. Well, I kind of took advice from both of you. Uh Um, Sitting down and trying to uh, access my joy, it's seems like even the the joyful stuff always led to a sad song but uh <laughs> yeah it's a thin line isn't it <laughs> <laughs> but um from that i came out with an idea for something and i'm really happy with where it's going and uh, my joy was writing about my niece and nephew and my sister's kids it's a little bit of a raw subject but it's really wonderful at the same time so i'm interested to see where where i go with that but it was something i never really thought about writing about but they really are a joy to me and the wonderful thing that came, you know, from her. So I definitely want to explore that a little bit more. So I'm, I'm working on a song about them. And then I took what Anne said. And the thing that she said that really struck me was the the part about don't let not writing be the thing that makes me feel bad as well as everything else. Right. I absolutely know that's what's been happening and just been kicking myself while I'm already down. Right. And um, I sat down with a lot of that stuff about my sister and, it's 
I wrote the song and it's not what I thought I was going to write about. And it's, it came from a different place. And I'm not sure that it's a song I'm ever going to share or want to perform in front of anybody, but I'm, I feel like I like kind of chopped down all these big, terrible brambles around my heart and just like got through some of the really awful stuff. And I'm really glad I did that. And I do feel like there's more work to be done and I'm going to keep doing it and keep writing more about that because I'm not quite there yet, but yeah, I did it and it was really scary and it's still scary, but um, I did it and I'm glad I did it. So what part of it was, was scary? Was it scary to approach it or once you started working on it, did that fear abate at all as you sort of vanished into creating or did it remain 100% full on 10 volume number 10 scary the entire time. I'm so interested in fear and creativity. So if you don't well, mind, little, I'd, I'd love to know. No, not at all. It's a little bit of both. Like sitting down and just like acknowledging that what I'm writing about is I'm reliving really terrible stuff. And um, just, you know, being with someone when they're dying, like you experience every possible emotion and it's just horrible. And, and I know that some of that stuff I need to write through but I don't want to necessarily write about those details because I don't feel like necessarily they're for anybody but me and the other people that were in the room. Yeah. But I want to write about those feelings. Yeah. And so part of it was just was acknowledging that it was going to be a really scary thing to write through and then just kind of letting just letting what was going to come through my brain happen. And that was where it kind of turned into something I didn't realize I was going to write about. The other thing about sitting down and writing through all this stuff is it's been a really dark place. And I feel like my brain is just really quiet and sad and full of all the bad memories and stuff. So sitting down to write was always a little scary because of what would come out. And then I couldn't get through it and I would just cry and be upset. Yeah. But when I just made myself sit down and see what would come, and sometimes nothing would come at all. But then sometimes mm-hmm. I'd get a little like like a cool breeze through my brain. And oh, I would feel like, nice okay. way to say that. Yeah. A merciful breeze. So that's kind of what happened, and it's it's fleeting, and um, so I, I have to keep revisiting it and going back. But I'm, I feel like I'm I'm finally kind of getting around it, you know. Yeah. Um. You know. You, do you know who Brene Brown is? Yes. I was just watching an interview with her the other day. She was talking about how important it is to keep your shadow in front of you, <laughs> um, where you can see it. Because it's there and it's going to be there, you know, the the darkest, saddest thing in your life, the darkest, saddest thing in your heart. And it's kind of better to put it right in front of you where you can keep an eye on it um, rather than having it be chasing you or or trying to bury it, you know. And and I feel like sometimes when you decide to write about very painful things, what you're really doing is is taking that shadow out and looking at it, you know, um, yeah. you know putting it where you can see it. And, and that's scarier, but it's also... Mm-hmm the safest place for that shadow to be in a way, you know, um, otherwise you don't know what it's up to, right? <laughs> you know, you got to keep an eye on that thing. Um, wait, so am I to understand that you actually started working on two different songs? Yeah. I, I kind of like walked away from one and set it down and I would write down, you know, my ideas for the other. And I realized there were two different thoughts entirely. So I don't have two completed songs, but I have one that I'm, 99% sure is done, and then one that's that's getting there. And I'm really happy to have, you know, to have something in front of me for the first time in a very long time. Oh, it makes me so happy to hear that. And is one of them for public consumption and one of them is just for you? Uh, I, I'm not sure yet. I know one is feels pretty fragile, and yeah. um, as do I. And I'm not really sure if it's if it's one I just needed to write through to get to the other stuff. And we'll see how how it goes. And that was the other thing um, that I really appreciated with your conversation with Anne when she said that, you know, writing through it and maybe, you know, choosing later if it's something that you want to share ever or not. And I realized I was was really scared about that and sharing stuff and maybe that I wasn't being respectful of what happened or, you know, even though it was, it's my story, it's a lot of people, a lot of other people's story too. So. I just want to always try to keep my sister in mind and do the right thing. Yeah. Well, you are allowed to make art that nobody ever sees. There are some things that you make because you cannot go on with your life until you have made them. And what you do with it next is only your decision. 
and and you're not betraying anybody or anything if you choose to never share it. Um, the important thing is that you, you have to make it. Um, right. It's the only way to keep the shadow in front of you. You know, I have a friend who's an amazing artist, and for a long time he used to do this project where he would um, make these little sculptures, and then he would um, wrap them up, and then he would put them in rivers and leave them there forever, and the only relic of it would be a little map that he drew, a secret map for himself of where it was, and Ah. no one has ever seen that. And then he would take a photograph of the body of water where the thing was, and that was the record of it, and and. And that was it. No one ever saw the thing. That's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I always thought that was somebody who had really given himself permission to to be a maker with or without an audience. Wow, I love that. So, you know, you can take a picture of the lake where you buried the thing <laughs> that you made that you're afraid to show, or you can show it. Um, but But that's for another day, that decision. I'm just so happy to hear that you're making art. Um, that you've given yourself that back. I just so appreciate that you took such good care of my story. And it's what I needed was to to hear someone who understood where I was at and help me try to navigate what was next because I just felt so paralyzed. You know, it's been very scary. And I, I feel like I just forgot entirely what I did well and how to, like, you know, just how to move forward. And uh, I think just being able to write through it and eventually write about it, even if I don't really share it with anybody, I think that will help me just grieve and move forward in my life in general. Well, I'm very proud of you (laughs) Um, for reaching out in the first place and then for trying and going through those brambles back to the center of your center. Um, It's a scary journey, but the alternatives are so much worse, you know? And, And I've always been struck by that phrase that says that the opposite of depression is not happiness. The opposite of depression is vitality. Vi- and vitality just means the life force in you again, you know? And and I think the fact that you're returning to the thing that brings you vitality um, means that you're back to life and you're allowed to yeah. be alive. Um, so keep going, all right? I will. Thank you. All right. And um, <laughs> I want to hear whatever song you are ready for someone to hear I'm ready to hear. <laughs> and and whatever, you know, wherever I show up on your concentric circle of reveal, um, whenever you feel comfortable putting something out there, uh, put it put it out there um, because I would love to hear it. You know, I, I love the music I've already heard that you made and I, and I want to see where you're going with it next. Thank you. Absolutely. I will be, I'll be excited to share it with you soon, I hope. <laughs> Onward, Melissa. thank you so much and um and blessings to you and thank you for for telling us your story thank you so much in episode seven i talked to betsy an art teacher in oregon she's been giving of herself to everybody in the world until she's completely exhausted um i'm sure some of you can maybe relate (laughs) And now she just feels sort of depleted and in a rut. So I gave her the assignment to go have an affair with her art, to steal moments for herself, and to be super secretive about the big and daring creative experiment that she would like to start. Hey, Betsy, is that you? It is. It's the same. The very same. The one and only. (laughs) Really the one and only. (laughs) Welcome back to Magic Lessons. Thank you. Okay. I've been very curious to hear what you've been up to because when we spoke, I believe I gave you the assignment to go have an affair, Um, not with a human being, but with your art. And by definition, I know affairs are supposed to be secret, so I don't want to put you on the spot, but I can't help wondering, did you go do it? And what's it been like? Oh, well, I, I tried. I really did. And I think that I had in mind that after I talked to Elizabeth Gilbert, that suddenly a a billboard would light up and I would see the love of my life somehow. Uh I went back and read all of my notes that you talked to me about. Uh You know, the juicy, sexy, naughty, finding time, stolen time. I realized that I needed to stop and see who who have I been dating. <laughs> what a wonderful question, right? Who has been getting your time? Yeah, yeah. Well, some yes, there have been a few subpar dates um, that have been occupying my my heart and my mind. Uh-huh. And you know, you know, you know the guy that like just keeps calling, calling, finally you're like, oh, fine. Right. I think I've been giving into those for 
years, you wow. know, the, the daily tasks of, of life. Right. Um, you know, they seem really worthy, like really worthy people to have my attention. But as you were saying, this idea of passion where you just like wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it or I can't wait to get home and get that, it took me a little while to figure out that I have been, my, my dance card's overbooked, you know. I just have been doing everything for everybody else. Yeah. And thinking that that was passion. Like I've just been helping everybody but myself. So, and I think that's where I realized these are the blocks and they're not bad blocks. I don't need to blow them up with dynamite, but I might need to cancel a few hours that I spend on doing all these other things. Yeah. And so I just started making stuff, but I did it with a little more, um, flirtation, Uh a little more, um, you know, I might be into you. <laughs> so it was pretty fun. So you are doing it. I'm doing it in real ways. Pretty small, small things. But Well, it's seduction, right? I mean, it's seduction, not not production. Yeah. It's seduction, right? Like so much of your life has been about productivity. Um, yeah, and you know, yeah. right. And I, I noticed there were a lot of um, things in my life. Also, even in my creative life, my in my studio space, that was just, you know, cluttery. So a lot of the last few weeks, I've just been clearing out and throwing away the paint that doesn't work or that I never liked that brush or whatever, and just kind of sharpening my pencils. But I tried to think of it more as getting ready for a date. Getting your legs waxed, getting your nails done, getting your hair. Yeah, I mean, that's what that is. Like I can't just show up in my house coat and expect some great passion, sort of. <laughs> no, you can't. At this point. I, maybe I can later, but I can't at this point. No, because you're seducing this energy back to you. And and I love mm-hmm. this idea of preparing yourself and preparing your space. Um, I have a friend, and we, we always joke that um, the first step of writing a new novel is to alphabetize your spice drawer. Um, <laughs> the, yes. The, oh, you know, and I've done it all over my house. Yeah. Yes, yeah, like that. Yeah. Because what happens when you get rid of a bunch of junk, physical junk, is that you also get rid of a bunch of metaphysical junk. And you also suddenly discover that your whole life is bigger than you thought it was because it's not cluttered. You know, once you get rid of that clutter, the room is literally bigger. You know, um, I recently got rid of 90% of my books that I've been carrying around for my entire life. And I touched every single one. And I thought, do am I in love with this book? I have like five shelves of books now because they're the only ones that every single one of them, when I look at them, makes me excited. And it makes my studio space just feel brighter and lighter and more free. So I feel like all of this is 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 just fabulous and and beautiful yeah. preparation for the seduction that you're laying out. Yeah, and it was really great to hear you say to me, it's about the action. You don't need to produce anything. Just do this for yourself. And the same with when when Rhea, her whole conversation about this art is for yourself, and it's maybe nobody will ever see it. I realized no one ever needs to see that I'm organizing my spice drawer or that I'm. But I'm needing to, same, needing to look at each thing that I've made in the past and can I let it go? I've right. got a big bonfire pile right now. Oh, I love like, a bonfire. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. And you know, and that some things need a little weep and um, yeah. they are like lost loves. Yeah. And, you know, you were, you really served me well, but now I need to just, yeah. you're cluttering my footsteps. Yeah. Um, so a lot of my work in the last few weeks has been about that idea of, preparing for it so I look good. <laughs> I love this. And and I, I guess I feel more confident that something is going to just because I'm going to be ready to hop on the bus when it comes by. Well, it's already happening, right? You're, yeah. you're already doing it. You're not, you're not deferring this. This is, this mm-hmm. is part of, you know, what you're doing is it, you know? Yeah. Um, it is it. I mean, it, and it has to do with the word that I also gave you an assignment to really meditate on. And I'm curious if you if you <laughs> had some thoughts on that or if you did any work around that. And that is, of course, the word entitlement. Um, yes. What is Betsy entitled to? And I'm curious what you did with that. At first, when you said it, I got a little cringy because I, I was hearing it as the idea of I have been given so much or because of that um, entitlement, I need, I have some duties. And I hadn't been thinking of that I'm also entitled to be a little reckless or, you know, entitlement at a creative um, inner heart level. Yeah. Yeah. I believe I quoted to you the um, the line by the, the British poet David White, who spoke about the arrogance of belonging. It's a kind of an arrogance that you have to cultivate as a 
as an artist. If you don't have the arrogance of belonging, you can never make art. And the arrogance of belonging, he explains, is not about your ego. It's just about standing on your own two feet and saying, I am. Um, I am here. I exist. I have a vision. I have desires. I have a statement to make. I have pleasure to pursue. And I'm allowed to have all of those things because I am. You know, I'm not just here to produce bricks. <laughs> I'm not just here to make bricks for society to stand on. I'm also here to celebrate the miraculousness of my own particular life um, that you are very much entitled to. Every single day of my life, if I devote myself to the permission and the entitlement to believe that I'm allowed to have it is a tiny little piece of curiosity. Um, yeah. a, a little tiny piece of curiosity that says, I'm alive enough that I want to see what that is. And I, and I go two inches in that direction. And two inches is a long way. And if I don't even take time for those two inches, I kind of miss out on a little stolen kiss, you know, like thinking about love and that idea of an affair, like that little energy that keeps it going sometimes is just a, a wink. <laughs> the great the great John Updike once said that some of the best books you've ever read were written in an hour a day. And I feel like everyone is waiting for the right circumstances because they think that the creativity that they want to do is going to require 100% of their time. And, and the reality is, you know, most of the most beautiful things that you've ever seen in the world were made by people who didn't have enough time, didn't have enough resources, didn't have enough money, didn't have the right connections, and somehow found an hour. I mean, I'll take a half an hour. Um, you know, the kitchen, put that kitchen timer on, turn your phone off, shut the door, and um, wait till the ding. That's a long time. A half an hour of silence with yourself in your own space um, where you're not taking care of anybody else is is sort of a marathon of time in most of our lives. Yeah, yeah. I think I mentioned to you last time that my mom passed away recently yeah. last year at 93 and that she was an artist all the time. You know, the, the kitchen table always had a corner that had a project going on. Then you'd have to move that so that there could be dinner and, you know, just enough that you could eat dinner. And then it would go in waves. But I somehow didn't ever give any credit to that. I don't know if I just didn't pay attention or what. I was like, yeah, that's just what she does. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm her age, well, I remember seeing this, of course, you just have to find a, a corner to do things or, or show up. And I even have a little space to work m myself. And showing up there, it, you know, it is like, um, I don't know, going to the well, maybe I'm trying to like going to the candies. I'm trying to think, you know, something delicious that you want to go do. Yeah. And I think about my mom just sneaking out and making art and meeting friends every couple of weeks. They'd get together and talk about their art. But I was never included in it. It was very private. Yeah, because she had the arrogance of belonging and she let it no be hers. Kidding. Boy, did she model some good stuff for you. Yes. Um, yes. And probably the older you get, the more you're going to be remembering and, and realizing that and hopefully stepping onto the path that she sort of laid for you about right. about how to do that. You yeah. know, um, I'm going to leave you with this lovely quote from the um, the poet Seamus Haney who who passed away recently, but he had a lovely line in an essay I read where he said that when the artist is beginning on a um, either a new, you know, a new young artist or a, an older artist beginning something new um, and something daring, he said, it's frustrating because it's like you're going to a well. I'm, I'm thinking of this because you mentioned returning to the well, right? You're going to a well and he said, you're constantly lowering your bucket and coming up with nothing. You know, you, do, you dip your bucket down into the well and you pull it up and it's full of empty air. And then you do it again and it's full of empty air and you do it again. And he said, but you have to keep returning to that well and you have to keep lowering that bucket because one day you hit the water, the sweet water that it's at the bottom of it and that bucket comes up full. And he had a beautiful saying where he said, and that's the moment where you will have broken the skin on yourself. Oh. Um, so I'm just going to keep sending you back to that well. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, that well. You know the well, one. You know the one. I think, I think I'm entitled to go to that well, right? I'm entitled to that. <laughs> okay, I'm going to make you say that again, but without a question mark at the end. Can you do that one more time? <laughs> I'm entitled to go to the well. You got it. You got it. Um, Betsy, I think you're lovely and and beautiful, and I'm sending you back to that well where you know you want to be. You want to drink that water. I know you want to. And you know where to find it. Um, mm -hmm. And and so just keep lowering that bucket until you break the skin on yourself. Yeah. I'm going to go to the well. 
There's probably a song about that, right? There, 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 probably, there are probably a thousand songs about that. <laughs> and hey, there might be a painting about it too. Um, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? To see where yeah. that's going? Um, Betsy, thank you. And, and thank you so much. And I, I wish you luck on your flirtation, your seduction, and most of all, your without a question mark at the end of it. <laughs> entitlement. Thank you. All right. Bye, honey. Bye-bye. Back in episode nine, we met Casey. She's a photographer in San Francisco, and she's had a lot of success with it, but she's at that stage in her creative life where she feels like she's already accomplished what she needs to accomplish, and she wanted to try something new. Her dream was to begin experimenting with podcasting. She was just trying to get the courage to do it. So let's see if she did. Hi, is that Casey? Hi, Liz. Hey, Casey. Welcome back to Magic Lessons. Thanks. I, I kept thinking about you because I gave you some very particular assignments. Um, yes. And I realized that a lot of my assignments were about making you write various letters. So I want to check in with you on, on all of those. The first assignment that I gave you was to write a letter to your podcast hero, Anna Sales. And I was just wondering how that worked. It was really hard, and I really procrastinated on it for a long time. And right now there are letters that exist in my notebooks right now. And to be honest, I never sent them because I think I was just afraid of sounding like every single other person that's like, what equipment do you use? And how do you do this thing you do? I I chose Mark Marin and uh, Anna Sale. And uh, I just started out by saying why I admire what they do and and the things they do in their podcasts and the way they ask questions and why I think they're such great interviewers. Um, but, yeah, for some reason they were really hard for me to write, almost harder than the other writing assignments were. Wow. Well, we'll go back to the other ones, but let's, like, let's try to dissect that fear. And, and maybe you can tell me why those letters are still sitting in your notebook. <laughs> where, where, that... where they probably won't produce very much for your life. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, in a way, I want to just figure it out on my own this time around. Uh-huh. But I do think that reaching out to people will also be valuable. But that might be, that's my guess as to why I procrastinate on it. Yeah. Um, in addition to just being afraid of like bothering them too. It's a little mix of both, I think. The thing with Anna and with Mark is that, yeah, they're they're busy people and they're famous people, but here's what's going to happen. Either they're going to read your letter or not, um, or they're going to have an assistant read your letter or not, but guaranteed they're not going to read it while it's sitting in your notebook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and in, in that way I have nothing to lose, do I? <laughs> you have nothing to lose. I mean, you know, they, they don't have a key to your apartment, so they can't come to your apartment and find your notebook and open it up and read <laughs> the letter. Um, and this is true. It's, and so there's this tiny chance that, that if you actually send it to them, something something might happen, you know. Um, so, But maybe you're afraid of something happening. You know, sometimes we're afraid that, that we might, you know, we're a little bit afraid sometimes of getting what we want. So, um, you know, maybe that's part of it too. I definitely think it is. So those were the literal letters that, that I had you write. But then I also gave you a sort of more psychological, ephemeral, spiritual project to do, which was um, that I asked you to write two letters to yourself from different parts of yourself. Um, one of the letters was supposed to be from fear, your fear particularly, and the other one was supposed to be from your curiosity. And then you needed to engage with them and sort of figure out what they were telling you and teaching you and what they were asking for. So I was wondering if you if you got around to doing that and how that worked. Yes. Those ones, surprisingly, were easier than the others. Uh-huh. Um, the fear one, it's hilarious when you read it back. You're like, wow, we can be mean to ourselves. What did it say to you? What did your fear say to you when you gave it a voice? It was a lot of like, who do you think you are doing this thing? Like, you don't know anything about it. People are going to laugh at you because, you know, this is something that you don't, you've never done before. So, and I think podcasting, because you're using your voice, it kind of instantly puts you in this place of authority, whether or not you know what you're doing. Um, you know, there's another way to do it, and that is to actually just be yourself. Um, and rather than, you know, presenting as though you're reading the morning news on NPR, you can present and say, this is an experiment that I'm doing, and here's who I am. That, I guarantee you, will be a lot more interesting for me to listen to than you pretending to be Walter Cronkite. Definitely. Which I think ties into why my fear of getting too much advice from people or obsessing too much about what someone else is doing or the way that they're doing their podcast so that I can 
speak authentically. Right. But I don't think it hurts to still get their advice and do things the way I'd like to do. That's why it's really nice to to reach out to people who are standing where you might want to stand someday. Not because they'll say, this is the only way to get here, but because they'll say, you can get here. <laughs> you know, you can, you can do this thing. Um, okay, so your letter to fear was twice as long as your letter to curiosity, and it was mean to you. Um, <laughs> what was your, or sorry, your letter from fear. Um, what was your letter from curiosity about like? Curiosity was a little nicer, <laughs> um, definitely shorter, but just it felt good to put down the things like, why am I doing this in the first place? And it w- it led to me just knowing that photography became boring to me because I wanted to know more about the people that I was shooting. I wanted to hear their stories. And to a certain extent, I could, you know, if I'm shooting headshots in the studio and we're chatting or whatever, but I just wanted to go deeper than that. You just want to you want to talk and you want to learn about these people. Focus on that because I think that's the most important thing that you did was to write that letter. And even though it's a smaller letter, it's a bigger one <laughs> yeah. than the one from fear. Um, your own reasons to create are reason enough. And as far as the letter that fear wrote you, where it asked you who you think you are, um, did it say who the hell do you think you are? Because that's what my fear always says to me. <laughs> probably did. It was pretty mean. And just out of curiosity, if you don't mind, who the hell do you think you are, Casey? I'm, I'm serious. Like, who, uh, who do you I, think you are? What do you think you're doing here? Well, I guess the reason why I got interested in this in the first place is I've just always been someone that was curious about people. I was always, you know, the little kid asking my grandmas their stories and listening to them for hours while all the other kids were playing outside. Uh, that's just always been who I am. And instead of ignoring that as something I could sort of work towards potentially as a career, I just thought, why not include it in the art I'm already making? Why not just give it a shot? Well, there's your answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just just write a little memo of that and send it to fear um, and just say like, yeah, thanks for asking. Um, and, and, and I actually really do thank fear whenever it asks that. I always say, oh, thanks for asking because you've given me the opportunity to answer that question and, um, and, and let me remind both you and me of who I actually think I am. I also really love what you said in the book about fear being boring, that it's, it's one note and it has no substance or texture. And I really related to that very much. You get tired of it. You're like, okay, well, what if I just make something? <laughs> what will happen then? Yeah, it's boring because it always has the same answer. You know, anytime you check in with your fear and you say, hey, fear, should I try this new interesting thing? It always has, the answer is always no. Don't. Just don't. Just don't. Um, and so it always gives the most boring ending to, to any story. And, um, and it can't help it. You know, it's just trying to protect us because it thinks that all new things lead to our death. Um, but but that's just because it's a very weird, ancient survival impulse. Um, I also wanted to know if you were able to listen to the conversation I had with John Hodgman about about where you're at right now in, in your creative life and if you were able to take anything away from that that was helpful. Oh, my goodness, yes. It was so, so wonderful. I loved the part where he said, you know, what if she's not a photographer? And I think that had been the exact fear that I'd had over the last several months and he just articulated them really beautifully. And, you know, maybe it means I'm a podcaster and maybe it doesn't, maybe I'm an art artist who podcasts. I, I don't know, but I won't know until the trial and error starts. Um, yeah. And he also said um, the morning involved with letting go of one period of your creative life to embrace another. That was awesome just so many things. I have like two pages of notes. I'm so glad because unlike me, I've always had this single pointed focus on on writing and I haven't really veered from that. But he's somebody who has lived so many different creative lives um, and and has really bravely followed every single possible thread. Um, But that's because he at his core believes that he's allowed to be here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that he's allowed to be here and he doesn't just have to be a spectator. He can be a participant. You know, I want for you more than anything, and this is a real like warrior of the spirit moment for you, Casey. Like I want you to stand 100% 
like from every molecule of your being in the certainty that you are absolutely allowed to be here and that you are absolutely allowed to have a vision and you are absolutely allowed to create, that you are not just a consumer and you're not just a witness and you're not just this one thing. You're not just Casey the good photographer. Um, you are a lot of other things that all want to come into bloom. Yeah. I've started the podcast. I've, I did my first interview uh, last week. Last Dude, weekend. way to bury the lead. You didn't <laughs> even mention that at the beginning. All right, so you're already doing it. Oh, my God. What? Uh, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. What happened? You got your microphone. You got your interviewer. You did it? I did. There was um, a workshop in L.A. that I saw like maybe two or three weeks after we spoke, and I was like, why not? And I hopped on a plane to L.A., and I took this workshop with uh, – this guy, Rishikesh Shearway, who does the podcast Song Exploder. Yeah, yeah, I love that podcast. Yeah, he's awesome. And it ended up being like a four-and-a-half-hour workshop, and I learned so much about microphones and all the things that I needed to really grasp before I got started with this thing. And I went home, and I bought the microphones, and uh, I did an interview with my friend Brandon on Sunday, and it ended up being four hours long. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and it was really, really fun, and I did the photos and, and all the um, the visual stuff. It was so, so fun and also kind of intimidating because then you have four hours of tape, and it's like, okay, what next? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, transcribe it, and then I need to learn a little bit about GarageBand. And, but I feel so, so good for having done the first one and just the act of asking the questions I've always wanted to ask and learning how to navigate a balance between letting them talk and guiding them a little bit. First of all, way to go. <laughs> way to go. And way to get on that flight and go to L.A. and take that workshop and, you know, gather all of that information that you needed and give yourself the entitlement and permission to devote that much time to learning. And, and um, dude, you're doing it. It's so yeah. cool. So first of all, way to go. And and secondly, like the blessing that I, my little benediction for you is that um, – Honestly, my, my prayer for you forever is that you always have problems of abundance um, and that you never more have problems of scarcity. Um, may you always have too much material. <laughs> Thank you. That's the best thing. So. Um, that's so great. Uh, wow. Wait, you just made me very happy. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. Um, well, I should let you go. You have a lot of editing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm so I'm so proud of you. Um, Thanks. How does it feel? Are you like I'm jazzed? I'm I'm so so excited to get to other ones and and to finish up this episode and actually just see it online. And it feels like there's a lot to do between here and there. But just the experience of doing it, I was like high on life after I left his house, and I was like, this is so fun. Why did I wait so long to do this? <sighs> good stuff yay that's the that's the juice um yeah that's the that's the reason to be um that's so exciting so when you get a title <laughs> yeah. and when you get an edited product um let me know and we'll put it out there so people can listen to it because um i know thank i want so to and i have a feeling that other people will want to too i appreciate that casey thank you so much thank you for being part of this my own new project. Oh, thank you, Liz. This is so awesome. You're really cool, and I can't wait to see what you make next. So right. onward. So those are our students, and they're all still making their work, which is the most wonderful thing that I possibly could have learned in calling them back. It's been an amazing privilege to work with these people on their creative obstacles and their creative projects, and I can only hope that all of you who have been listening have also felt inspired and entitled to begin really delving into the question of what are the treasures that are hidden within you and what's it going to take to release them, because you don't do anybody any service by keeping your jewels hidden. Bring them forth, share them with everyone. Let us be part of your journey and let's make sure to keep this conversation going. Thank you so much for being part of the Big Magic Podcast. Magic Lessons is produced by MaximumFun.org and Riverhead Books. Michelle Siegel is our producer. Our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. Our theme music was written by Dave Cahill and performed by Dave Cahill and Dallas Vietti. Special thanks to Becky Salatin, Jeffrey Klosky, Michelle Kafopoulos, Lydia Hurt, and Paul Ruest of Argo Studios. If you want to learn more about my ideas on creative inspiration, check out my new book, Big Magic, Creative Living Beyond Fear. 
It's published by Riverhead, and it comes out on September 22nd, 2015. That's in two weeks, you guys. You can find out more information about my comings and goings on elizabethgilbert.com, and you can always find me, personally, on Facebook, because I'm there literally every single day. So let's keep the conversation going. Be sure to tune in next week on Magic Lessons for a very, very, very special, deep and intimate conversation with my friend, the wonderful Brene Brown, about vulnerability, courage, and of course, creativity. That's next time on Magic Lessons. I hope you'll join us.